Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast for episode number 158. With the return of our popular guest, expert in psychology, cognitive neuroscience, and neurotechnology, Dr. Howard Rankin from episode 146 and number 152, with Grant Renier, who started his venture into intuitive rationality 30 years before the Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman published his groundbreaking book, Thinking Fast and Slow, creating a company that uses intuitive general intelligence, which is a knockoff term like artificial intelligence, to predict near and future events while taking into account the fundamentals of human behavior. So basically, he's created a predictive technology that can peer into the future of sports predictions, health, and medicine. I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator from Toronto, Canada, now in Arizona, and like many of our listeners, have been fascinated with learning and understanding the science behind high-performance strategies in our schools, our sports, and workplace environments with ideas that we can all use, understand, and implement immediately. Dr. Rankin and Grant Renier will discuss their new book, Intuitive Rationality, that brings to light the fact that humans are not entirely rational, but instead are influenced by several factors in arriving at decisions, like subconscious and environmental processes, and a need for emotional comfort and ideological consistency. These are heuristics, which are defined as mental shortcuts designed to reduce the energy involved in critical thinking and complex processing, showing that pure rationality is almost never practical or possible for human beings, and that even the most seemingly rational conclusions are at best probabilities based on the current known data, which would almost certainly change over time. While these notions are not new, they've appeared in a new context, the 21st century where technology is prevalent and social connection has never been greater. These contemporary processes mean that the various ways that people think have never been more important. Understanding cognitive bias is now critical for anyone in being more aware and efficient in not just their own thinking, but also that of others. I know our local police departments now train their employees on cognitive bias, so officers are aware of how their thinking impacts their decision-making on the job. And cognitive bias is an important concept for educators to think about in the classroom, as well as in any workplace environment for that matter. Which biases and heuristics are programmed into intuitive rationality and how are they incorporated? This new book and our interview today will answer these questions as well as demonstrate the proven success of such a system that's a new direction in artificial intelligence logic. Grant and Howard will introduce this fascinating and paradoxical connection between intuition and rationality to help us to better understand the strategic decision-making process to understand how and why we make the decisions that we do, how our world is defined by them, 
and show how this new approach to artificial intelligence can shift its development to a more human behavior-based logic leading to a new field of AI, intuitive general intelligence. I like the sounds of this. Who doesn't want to figure out new ways to improve their thinking and strategic decision making with this new understanding while also getting a glimpse of the future? I think this concept could help us to stay one step ahead of the crowd. Let's welcome Dr. Rankin back for a third time to the podcast and meet the co-author of their new book, Grant Renier, and let's see if we can learn this concept of intuitive rationality together. Welcome, Dr. Rankin, and so wonderful to meet you, Grant. Thank you nice so much you. for coming on the, the podcast today, both of you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to, to be invited and uh, uh, looking forward to the discussion. Absolutely. Well, before we get started, we're all in different parts of the country. Where are you, Grant? North Carolina, is that right? North Carolina, and uh, Howard is in South Carolina, and you're out in Arizona, so we're kind of spread all over the place. Definitely. That's the, the fun part of using technology, which we're going to get into. I know this is your area of, of expertise here, so I'm going to start with you, Grant, with this question. Okay because I'm fascinated with the system that you created years before Daniel Kahneman's groundbreaking book, Thinking Fast and Slow for so many reasons, but mostly because I've always wondered about incorporating gut feelings or intuition into our decision-making processes. And, you know, I've been studying neuroscience uh, with a researcher, Mark Robert Waldman, and I've also been talking to Howard a couple of times now, and he's convinced me that there's a problem with the way humans think. Can you explain what is intuitive rationality and perhaps your intuitive general intelligence system, how it works with you know, sports and health, and how does it take into account this flawed human decision-making that we have? Okay, well, that is obviously the challenge. I mean, the... Uh... Uh, the term intuitive rationality, uh, the first word, of course, is, in, is intuitive, which uh, means that uh, what we're trying to do is simulate uh, the gut feeling intuitive function that is a part of every human decision that's made. And the rationality side of it is that uh, we've been able to uh, put it into rational computer code. So uh, we try to marry it into that one phrase. Uh, I started in this uh, many years ago in graduate school and uh, then worked for two Fortune 500 companies. And in that process, found that uh, the, uh, uh, the prediction models and such that uh, I got involved with um, that were worldwide models uh, really went to great extremes to exclude uh, the effects of human behavior in those models, which uh, I found to be... Um, a little uh, problematic. So uh, years later, I, I left and started my first business that was based on uh, a uh, uh, an integration of what at that time uh, I knew about uh, the intuitive or subconscious decision making and and bias heuristic function uh, that's a part of every decision, and tried to replicate it in mathematics. Uh, and uh, so I've had um, uh, a number of prior ventures, which each one has been an application, a specific application of that technology. 
And that technology, of course, has come along and been refined and advanced to the point where it is now. And uh, at some point in the, I guess it must have been around the late 80s, early 90s, I sort of looked over the fence and uh, saw that on the academic side, people like uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky and others uh, were working on and going in basically the same direction. So I sort of stole a few things from them and uh, refined what I had. And it has now evolved into this uh, logic that we call intu intuitive rationality. So just to wrap my head around what this is, it can predict sports wins, the healthcare, what's going on with coronavirus right now. Right. Yeah, the, the uh, computer system as it is now uh, is uh, what we would call a general intelligence system in that it doesn't change at all between applications. And so we use the very same uh, computer system uh, computer program to um, pr make predictions in the investment markets and in sports and in elections and coronavirus and in healthcare or health monitoring. Uh, it's all the very same thing. And that's because we are trying to simulate the human process of this. And it's uh, like uh, saying that uh, uh, when we go out to drive our car, we don't change our brain to, to a brain driving, car driving brain, or to a, uh, a tax time brain, we don't, it's all the same wiring. And so uh, it's a, a very generalized intelligence that we all are familiar with. And that's what we've simulated and, and are able to do at this point, we think. Got it. So now I want to just go to Howard for a second, because Howard taking grants work into account. And the idea that you've got a podcast called How Not to Think, what should we all know about how we think and make decisions here? Well, I think that grants work in the validation of it through the success in prediction um, shows that our total respect and idolization of rationality is misinformed, partly because in any particularly complex subject, you don't have access to all the data or even a small part of it. And so a lot of the times you're guessing, you're being intuitive about what things are important. Okay, so that's already an intuitive response, not a rational one. Uh, and so there's a lot um, about rationality that people don't think about that is actually based on guesswork, uh, intuition, uh, and, you know, total knowledge of every factor that's important. We can't possibly have that, you know, we just can't. And so we're, even though we say, oh, well, that's rational. Yeah, but there's a lot of intuition that goes into it. And I think that we have to understand that. Um, and, and instead of recognizing that, what people tend to do is just say, well, I am being logical, <laughs> you know, because, and then they'll pick and choose, you know, because I've got A and B and that's proven, you know, well, no, not really. You're just using a bias to justify yourself. And, and if we looked at human beings, we wouldn't say that they are rational. We would say they are storytellers and justifiers is really what they are. That's interesting. Interesting. So, 
when I was reading the book in the very beginning, it had like this fun storytelling type method to it where you go to Walmart and there's, you know, an interaction with each of the employees at Walmart with a way of thinking. Could we just walk through some of these ways that humans think so we can recognize and maybe discuss each one and see maybe where we go off on tangents and just have a look at this? Yes. Um, well, yeah, I, I wanted to make it um, stand out by using contrast. And so I use Walmart as an example, and each of the um, em employees that I re talk to come up with a reference to, you know, Aristotle uh, or Freud or things like that, which shine light on the, what we call the heuristics, the shortcuts that we all use to justify ourselves. And whether that's a hunch, a feeling, a justification, whatever it is, that's what we do. And then we find the evidence to justify it. And um, that's what bias is about, what cognitive bias is about. And, um, and that's what Grant was really a, way ahead of the game in recognizing that and taking cognitive biases and putting them into a program, which could then be combined with any data stream as the logic comes in and then simulate human behavior. Okay, we're in a situation. There is a certain amount of information come in, but what do we do, right? And in trying to control that, and Grant can, can correct me if I'm saying this the wrong way, but, but to control that or to make that seem like the best of human decision making, you know, he's incorporated these biases. Yeah, I think that uh, speaking from the technical side of what Howard's just said, it's important, I think, at this point to point out that uh, what we are uh, uh, pursuing here uh, with intuitive rationality is a new kind of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence at this point, uh, I would define as basically being. Uh, the analysis of known, of our known reality. For example, uh, in self-driving cars, the software that is called artificial intelligence in a self-driving automobile is attempting to recognize uh, the lanes in the road, uh, the obstacles in the road, other cars and so forth. And those are all existing things in that reality at that moment. Uh, and based on that, it is, uh, you know, making good decisions about uh, driving the car uh, in that kind of uh, environment. Uh, we are quite different. What we are focusing on is the uh, uh, basically trying to understand the unknown future. Uh, and uh, there is no, uh, certainly we are using data that's telling us about the realities of the application, but at the same time, we need to be able to understand the unknown future. And the only way that we can really do that effectively is to be able to simulate what we do as humans uh, in many, in, in, in all cases of making decisions is using our intuition to help us understand the unknown future. So that would be a case where, for example, uh, what would be uh, the stock price of uh, Tesla next week? Uh, uh, we don't know what that's going to be. Uh, we can use all of the current data to try to 
extend that out and uh, make a estimate of it, which is being done substantially by uh, technology as it is. But in this case, uh, that doesn't include the important part of the individual making his own judgment um, after looking at the data about where the price of Tesla will be next week. And that's what we do. And the same thing goes for um, the picking out of teams playing each other next weekend, who's going to win and lose. Those are events that haven't occurred yet, and uh, they are in the unknown future. And that's what we are focused on. That's what we do. And that defines us quite different from the existing uh, uh, state of artificial intelligence. And that's why we're trying to identify, or we've given this a new name, which we're calling intuitive uh, general intelligence or intuitive artificial intelligence. So what would go into knowing how a team would win? What data would be pulled? Okay, to take that example, what we do, uh, and first of all, is gathering data at the, um, after the weekend of, and we do this for NFL football, uh, is to bring in all the data that's been collected for all of the games, all of the plays, all of the, all of the players for the previous weekend of, uh, of, of games. And we, the system digests that and uh, uh, makes uh, predictions of that data uh, as it includes the effect of biases that we've identified. And there are 12 of them that we focus on uh, to uh, put the human spin on what the system thinks about the game that is going to be played next weekend between two teams. And so uh, the one case is, and generally the, the uh, approach to all of this is uh, people doing this either with pen and paper and calculator or computer are basically uh, doing it on the data that they have collected. And they will run some uh, columns of numbers and add them up and so forth, but then make a, uh, their own spin on that before they go out and, and publicize their predictions. And that spin, that human spin, uh, is the intuitive part of what we do. And uh, we've had, uh, of course, a very uh, stellar performance in NFL football predictions since uh, 2011. I heard that. So I was listening to one of your other podcasts and you were mentioning, and, and I'm not a big sports better, but that the return of investment was 58%. Is that is that accurate? More than 50? Uh, it's a 58 win rate. That is for all of the predictions that it makes for the upcoming games, 58% of them are wins. And that is uh, considered to be right at the top in performance. But in addition to that, it uh, will... Uh, tell the uh, subscriber how much to wager on each of those predictions that it's making. And that return on wagering uh, runs on average about 50% on wagering per week. So uh, that's uh, quite a substantial uh, return on investment. So who's using this? If anyone's listening to this podcast and they want to make some extra money, are they going to go to your website? What, what, yep. Who's using it? Uh, we take subscribers during the season and uh, they can subscribe on a monthly or a seasonal basis. And what they will get uh, from the subscription is a, uh, uh, a uh, report that we call our pick report. will show the games that the system is picking for the next weekend, and then they can go and make their wagering. The second part of that is that uh, all through the week, in addition to just collecting the data from the prior weekends, 
the system will also bring in the spread, the existing spread uh, uh, in for each game to make sure that, uh, for example, after the data is collected for the, uh, for the previous weekend, there isn't uh, some major change in personnel, for example, somebody going on injured reserve uh, that hasn't been taken into account, obviously, by the previous data, and, but would be reflected in the change in the, in, the, in the line of the game. So the system takes that in as well. So right up to game time, it's refining its predictions. And so the user or the subscriber would get that, uh, uh, that update. Got it. So I'll make sure I put all those links in the show notes for sure. And even just for someone thinking, well, why wouldn't I hire a consultant that's an expert in this versus a machine? So is it because your machine has the um, the better results we can prove? Is that a good solution for why they wouldn't? Why would they choose you over a consultant? Well, uh, we would hope they would because we think that we're right at the top in terms of performance uh, against all others that we know about and who publish their results. Uh, 58% is considered right at the top of that, that, uh, uh, that, uh, that group. And so uh, from time to time, other people, computers or otherwise, uh, individuals or bookmakers or whatever will outperform us from one weekend to another, but in general, uh, we uh, uh, outperform them, just about all of them, uh, continuously. This is exciting. Yeah. You think it is? Yeah, it is. And and perhaps, and, and Grant, again, you're the technical expert, but, but perhaps just to give um, the viewers some inkling of how this, how this works. One of the biases that Grant has included is something called memory decay. Okay, and what that means is um, the history of that data drops out if it doesn't get repeated, right? Now, in a more conventional, just logic system, you put that data in and it stays there influencing it forever, potentially. Um, but memory decay says, this hasn't been a factor for so long, I'm going to drop it altogether out of the equation. And it's interesting when writing about that, um, and you, we use Sherlock Holmes as an example, he references that in his own investigation. And in one story, he comes up with this initial idea that, you know, this, this guy who's a victim was an alcoholic and there could be an alcohol involved. But after a few days of investigation where alcohol has not come up at all, he drops it. He drops the idea because it was original idea, but there's no, there's been no substantial, it's not been repeated at all. There's no availability of it. And so he drops it, you know, which is a smart thing to do. You have an idea, but it's not being substantiated or, or even being considered or suggested. You drop it. And that's one example of how grant system works. It, it, the, the information decays much more quickly than it would in a regular system where it continues to influence things, even though it may no longer be a relevant factor. Does that make sense? Yeah, and just to add a technical side of that, uh, what we did was uh, uh, divide uh, our memory up into two sections, short-term and long-term. And uh, through 
uh, and we've been at this now for four decades uh, in millions and millions of, of, <laughs> of uh, applications and trials and so forth. And what we found is that uh, our short-term memory uh, uh, is, is uh, very short. So the short-term memory of things going on right now uh, decays very quickly. We, fig we forget much of what we're currently doing in the short term very fast, and for good reason. Uh, if we didn't, uh, we would be overwhelmed with everything going on uh, and probably wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, but uh, uh, so we decay that or the system decays that very quickly. Longer term memory, uh, what isn't decayed quickly in short term uh, flows into long term memory and decays at a slower rate, but does decay. And it will decay as long as it's not uh, reinforced by the same sort of event. Uh, and so a good example here would be if uh, uh, I think we've probably all sometime in our life had some traumatic event that we will never forget. Uh, and that's the same case in our technology. There are certain events that it discovers that even uh, in the process of decaying the memory of it, uh, will retain it for a long, long time. Uh, others, it will decay uh, on a, at a regular rate. And we found that uh, there is a, um, a, uh, a very defined rate at which that works. Uh, they're not all sorts of different rates. Um, the rate is uh, very dependable. Got it. So if I go back to that chapter at Walmart, where there were all those ways of thinking, am I right to say that you wanted to break out the flaws in our thinking with these examples and then the cognitive biases to kind of explain how your general and intuitive system works. Is that the, the idea? Yeah. Yes. And, and the idea was to also empower the Walmart employees with wisdom uh, that, that would make it sort of an interesting, fun, read too um so yes the walmart employees respond with um quotes that reflect uh reflect how our, how our thinking is created and it's not logical and the different biases and rules of thumb heuristics that we use to justify or reach conclusions or come to conclusions uh, and so they are, in one way or another, they're talking about different influences on our thinking that aren't strictly rational or logical. They're just experiences. Um, so it could be, this is the power of the moment. Uh, this is what we're looking at right now, the availability bias. And because of that, we are over-influenced by that and we make that decision. Uh, or as Grant said, you know, a traumatic experience, part of, part of one's experience is there consciously or otherwise, and a lot of the time it's subconsciously, influencing how we perceive things. And uh, it really is how we work. And a lot of efforts these days to educate and help people that is to get them much more aware and ideally as independent as possible from the thoughts and the emotions that are going on inside them. That was going to be my next question because I can't even guess how your machine would measure 
humans making decisions and leaving out emotion how how, how would it do that well uh there's um uh a lot of the obviously it's it's a slave to the data that it, that it receives and so it's important for us to input as much data that we think is related to the application as possible. And we have two classes of data that go in. Uh, one is what we call objective data. And that would be, for example, if we're making predictions about a, uh, a stock price of Tesla, uh, we would be feeding in the uh, ongoing real-time prices of Tesla. Uh, uh, and that's every second. Uh, in addition to that, we'd be feeding in to the system what we call influencer data. And this would be data that we're not trying to predict, but could influence uh, the, uh, the, uh, the stock price. And so that could be something like, uh, well, first of all, volume of trading, but also could be things like the weather. Uh, it could be uh, measurements of uh, uh, the human um, some, some, something connected with the, the human emotion involved in trading the markets that day. Uh, and the system uh, will determine automatically the relevance of that data in, as it goes forward. And it will use, either use some part of it or none of it or all of it uh, to uh, influence its final decisions about whether the stock price of Tesla will be next week. Uh, so it's, it comes, obviously, first of all, all comes out of data. Uh, we don't interact with the system at all. Uh, we don't uh, interfere with its decision-making. It's all automatic. So we're not putting in our own uh, particular biases. We're letting the system do that. And it's acting hopefully like a human in terms of simulating uh, these 12 biases. Uh, and uh, so far, it's doing pretty well. Can we talk about the 12 biases that we should all know about? Because I, I don't know. I know they started working with the police departments with cognitive bias to make sure that police officers aren't putting their own judgments in when they're working in the field. But I know that this is something that's important for the workplace, the classrooms. If you could just talk about, I know that there's availability bias anchoring, but you chose 12 main ones. Tell me why you chose these 12 and what ones should we all know for sure and check ourselves with? How do we do that? Okay. Yeah, there are a lot of biases and, and, uh, and Howard would know better than I uh, how many there are out there, uh, depending on which uh, uh, scientists in the field of psychology you talk to, they have their own list and they're changing all the time. Our challenge originally was to try to uh, basically boil them down to uh, a set that would, in one form or another, uh, represent all of the existing biases that are out there. So there are 12 that we have, and I can run through them and name them for you. Uh, there's, uh, first of all, the uh, subconscious, or sorry, risk-averse and gain biases, uh, that, those are two critical ones. There's anchoring bias, environmental bias, uh, symmetry bias, memory decay bias, which we've talked about, availability bias, confirmation bias, uh, one called hot hand bias, which I can come back to if you like. Then there's quality bias and quantity bias, and then fast, fast and frugal search bias. And uh, those are the 12. And uh, we think that... Uh, 
there might, we obviously know there are other biases that people would define out there, uh, but we think that in one form or another, they would be represented, our, our 12 would represent uh, those as, uh, in a pretty good fashion. Yeah, those are, those are really common ones, certainly influencing how people think. For example, the availability bias is, um, you know, your opinion is your judgment is going to be based on what has been presented to you, what's been available to you. Obviously, you don't have the entire spectrum of all the information about a topic, just have what you've seen. Uh, and in a world where curated information is very popular, um, you're likely to see the same thing over and over again and not be shown other things. So your availability bias is going to significantly influence how you think about something. You may have seen the same thing in 10 different places and say, oh, it's all over the place. Oh, look, I, everywhere I look, but it's the same article or the same basically piece of information. That's going to influence you. But you haven't looked at all the other things that are available. And so that's one example using availability bias. Of course, probably the biggest one is confirmation bias, where we just look for the information that justifies our view and our opinion and our belief. And we ignore or don't even bother to look for or attack, if it comes into our attention, anything that's the opposite of that. So, yeah, you can always, and again, one of the issues with social media, you can always find people who are going to agree with you, right? Um, and confirm your view. And, and one of the problems with that is what we see today is that becomes very divisive because it means people just become pushed more and more to the extreme. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. And that's partly a function of that. Yeah, and to add what Howard has, has talked about, uh, there are a couple of other ones that are pretty critical as well. Uh, the, uh, the risk averse bias versus the gain bias. Uh, these two work together uh, or opposite each other. They're always pulling on us. And uh, we are, first of all, basically uh, risk averse, uh, a risk averse species or life itself is maybe risk averse. So it gives preference to trying to minimize risk. And very often uh, we will, in, the, in being faced with the opportunity for a gain, very often give up that gain to minimize risk. And uh, there's all sorts of examples for this. And this is incidentally, uh, Daniel Kahneman in his book and others in, in their books, uh, especially Kahneman and Tversky, um, did a lot of research in this area, good research uh, to basically develop that uh, whole uh, structure and relationship. Uh, we took it further and we developed a, what we found to be a very uh, reliable mathematical relationship between the two. And we test it uh, not only, well, it gets tested obviously in all the applications that we run, but also when doing presentations to groups, uh, we have a, uh, a particular game that we play them play with them that uh, uh, will uh, demonstrate um, how well on the one hand demonstrates our irrationality, but also demonstrates the interaction of being risk averse versus gain pursuing pursuing gain, and so that's interesting. And then of course the hot hand bias is 
where things get out of whack and we sort of give up on risk and we go all hog in for uh, the hot hand. That is uh, in a basketball game, uh, a uh, NBA player has uh, made the last uh, six shots in a row uh, the, and well above his percentage of shooting. Uh, but the thought is keep feeding him the ball because he's got a hot hand. And we know that sooner or later, if not sooner, uh, that's going to do what we call um, um, uh, return to the uh, return to the norm, the return to his normal percentage shooting um, to the to that uh, performance. And um, so we get carried away or we're in Las Vegas rolling the dice and we have some luck and we keep rolling the dice until uh, we what we've won, we end up losing all because we got all wrapped up in uh, uh, our hot hand as opposed to being risk averse. All sorts of good examples there. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good example of where if somebody's hit six shots in a row, rationality and logic would say, don't give him the ball because he's going to miss sooner or later. But that's not what happens. You know, the intuition says no, and that's where the human emotion and he's he's hot, you know, and gets gets going. Uh, and, and that's a good example of what we're talking about here, how these biases come in and influence us. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, as we said at the beginning, rationality and logic is is somewhat flawed. The the the, the brief logic in there is he hit six, he's going to miss some. But, you know, how do you know? If you looked at his career and maybe he's great at hitting 11 shots in a row and it's only on the 12th shot that he misses the next 15, you know, you don't know that. You're just making a generalized assumption. Yeah. yeah and uh, the uh, uh, why do we want to try to simulate this? Well, uh, in the end, uh, by actually having a, uh, a shooter uh, get a hot hand and have everybody behave the way, irrationally, the way Howard just described it, is in fact creates the reality of the game. And so we need to be able to simulate that to be able to understand the irrationality of everything that's going on uh, and be able to then be good at uh, predicting future events in the game in this case. There's so much to think about with this. And with all of this, how would theory of mind or being able to read the mind in somebody else fit into the AI experience? Does it take into consideration like facial recognition, you know, all those things that we see when we're in the experience? How does it mimic that? Well, uh, we don't get into that side of it because that is uh, the current state of AI, which is basically, uh, you know, basically predicting uh, or, or making judgments uh, from uh, the uh, current uh, realities. Uh, in the case of uh, facial recognition, uh, it's a process of looking at uh, electronically at someone's face, picking out features and comparing them to templates. And there is really no predictive element in there. It's a comparative thing uh, that's going on, but that is called AI and that's fine. Uh, we don't do that. Uh, we're not uh, uh, trying to uh, simply identify and categorize 
uh, things very quickly. We're really focused on uh, the unknown future and predicting it. And the only way you can do that uh, successfully is to know and have a, a good sense um, in terms of, in this case, computer logic of how humans would do that, which uh, a large part of that is dependent on their uh, intuitive uh, nature. Got it. And so to wrap this all up, how would you sum all this up for anyone listening? What should we know about our thinking and our biases and your AI software? What's what, what should we all take away from this? Well, I think that, uh, and I, I'll, I'll just I'll let Howard sort of uh, finish up after me. I think that what happens is, well, there's a lot of talk now, a lot of discussion about how AI is going to sort of take over the world. And I'm not sure we agree with that. Uh, it's uh, looking at one side of the equation. Uh, it's not considering the fact that uh, as we develop these tools, that uh, what happens in fact, uh, over the evolution of the human species is that it frees up uh, human cognitive energy uh, to concentrate on more conceptual kinds of thinking and uh, at a higher level and uh, more creative problem solving at a higher level. So there's a uh, give and take there. Uh, so we think that uh, as AI advances in the next, uh, as we go forward here, that it's not going to take over our lives, uh, that it's, uh, we're going to stay ahead of it, just like uh, we did when uh, automobiles were introduced uh, into the early 1900s when everybody was riding horses. Uh, we easily gave up the horse and go, went to the car, primarily because uh, it could be said that uh, it freed up uh, our cognitive energies uh, to think at a higher level. And so we think that's going to be the effect of uh, what we're doing. And Howard, you might want to finish up with something here. About yeah, I, well, I think Andrea said, what do people need to know? Um, and there's a great quote um, that I really like from a British statistician called George Parks, who talking about scientific theories said, all theories are wrong, some are useful. And actually, I think that's the way we should actually think about our own thinking. Um, because of the limitations on mental capacity, as, as Grant was talking about, we can't possibly know not only everything, but even a small amount of the factors that are going on. And so we, we have to reduce them all, even in research, even in research, scientific research. You can't, you know, if you're examining three or four factors in a particular condition, that's amazing, but there's probably a gazillion factors that are influencing it. Yeah, some are going to be more important, but you make the decision where well, we're just going to look at these three or four. Uh, and so we have to understand that because we can only be aware of what we're aware of, we don't understand a lot of the time what we're not aware of and what we can't know. And so we have to understand that. now. People will say, well, that's great, Doc, but that's what we're stuck with. Well, that's true, but at least be aware of the limitation. Be aware of the limitation that our thinking has implicit, really, in it. And these biases are just ways of justifying and influencing how we do that and how we, as much as we try, we try to be rational and logical, but it's 
very difficult and we're always bringing the side to the thinking table. So for anyone who wants to get the book or see uh, what your software is, Grant, what's the best place for that? Well, uh, we have published the book on Amazon. It's uh, available as uh, ebook and paperback. So it can be purchased in either of those uh, two, uh, uh, two forms. Uh, we have lots of different applications that are running at various levels and various times. Uh, and if someone uh, is interested in uh, the field, the general fields that we uh, have applications in are the financial markets, uh, sports, um, elections, COVID, um, in health, in predicting the onset of uh, things like epileptic seizures, heart arrhythmias, and hypoglycemia um, uh, attacks, uh, things like that. Uh, so we're covering a, a wide range of applications. So uh, they can uh, go to our website and uh, make a comment there, and uh, we'll get that. Uh, and they're uh, certainly welcome to email us as well. I don't, I, I hope that, uh, are you uh, providing our email addresses on in, in your podcast here? So yeah, I'll are, put everything great. in the show notes. If you could just tell me what your website is, and then when we get to this point in the video, I'll make sure I put everything up as okay. we close out. The website is uh, www.intualityai.com, and it's spelled I-N-T-U-A-L-I-T-Y-A-I.com. And that's the same tale on the uh, on the uh, email address. It's grant.renier, R-E-N-I-E-R, at intualityai.com. Perfect. Howard? You, no, no, that's fine. And the book is called Intuitive Rationality. Yeah. Um, and as Grant says, available as an ebook or as a paperback. Um, so buy it. Go buy it right now. And I'll put the link to the book. It was that's the website I had. I just want to make sure I have the right website to have everything that we've talked about on the podcast. And Howard, is there a, another place people could go look for you? I know you've got lots of different websites. Where where would you direct them to your podcast, or what's the best place? Yeah, probably the uh, how not. Given the context of this um, broadcast, how not to think uh, my podcast is probably where people are interested in this topic that's uh, where they go i do have um a, a, my own book i think therefore i'm wrong and i actually do have a website i think therefore i am wrong.com so you can look on there and explore some of this a little bit more yeah i'll, I'll mention also that howard has a uh, email address with intuality ai as well it's howard.rankin at intualityai.com Perfect. I'll make sure I put all this in. And I want to thank you both so much for your time, Howard, for coming back for the third time and Grant for explaining this to me. This is fascinating. I think this is cutting edge. So very exciting. I want to follow what you're doing. And I want to thank you so much for everything that you have explained on this podcast today. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you again, Andrea. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. See you next time. 
If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 